unlock my identity from my job. That was step number one. Once I did that, then I could actually embrace real estate is the thing for me. Mm-hmm. right? I could actually exceed at this. Now, you know, call it imposter syndrome. Originally, I tried to talk myself out of pursuing real estate every which way, um, <laughs> you know, so, but once I realized I'm like, yeah, I can actually do this. I deserve to have my expenses covered by my passive income and build the life that I want to. And if I choose to stay in my role in community pharmacy, fantastic. But again, you know, make, you know, changing my mindset to say, I deserve this and I'm going to make my career a choice, not a have to. Welcome back to the Passive Income Nurse Podcast, where as healthcare professionals, we create passive income online. We're trading in our scrubs for yoga pants, we're thinking outside of the box, aka the hospital, and we're figuring out how to make money online. And just in case you were wondering, yes, we are professionals, but We were raised on Tupac, so we making changes. (laughs) Yep, you heard that right. Hey, I'm Brianne Bell, registered nurse, health, wellness, and passive income advocate. Join me on this journey of breaking free from the hospital and taking control of your schedule to reconnecting with what matters most in life, to surrendering and letting Jesus take the will. Pop in your earbuds and get ready to be inspired to grow outside of the hospital walls and learn all kinds of different ways you can make money online. Hey nurses, welcome back to the Passive Income Nurse Podcast. I have a special guest on today named Whitney Hutton, and we are going to be talking about Passive Income Investing. Uh, Whitney is the Director of Investor Education at PassiveInvesting.com which is a national passive real estate investing firm actually located in the Carolinas, which is where I live. Um, Whitney stumbled into real estate by accident, which I'm super intrigued and excited to hear her story about that. And she discovered that success leaves clues. So she studied and replicated lots of strategies of the wealthy using, been able to use to create financial freedom. So Whitney has self-storage units, which I'm really excited to dive into that topic with you guys today. Um, Before we jumped on, I was like, Whitney, we have got to talk about that. So I'm excited to dive into that. And so, yeah, Whitney, thank you so much for coming on the show and welcome. If you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a pleasure to be here. I mean, we were chit-chatting and we have like a lot in common, so I'm really excited to get into that. Um, But yeah, I started off in real estate in 2002, totally by accident, living, flipping and house hacking. Um, (laughs) I think a part of the story that I rarely tell that might be really intriguing to the listeners, you know, help us build a connection is I actually was in public health at the time. I was working for the CDC um, on a bioterrorism grant. Remember 2002, right after 2001, we've got anthrax and smallpox. And so my job was to travel the whole state of Wyoming and Colorado and train them on how to get smallpox vaccination and then look for, identify anthrax, um, you know, exposure, chemical and biological exposure. So that was my whole world. But, you know, waking up um, every morning to an FBI briefing, but that just wasn't my thing. I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Um, But again, that's really part of the story that I tell. Anyways, but then simultaneously, I had um, bought a house with a significant other. Everything was under my name and then the relationship fell apart. And here it was, I had a house. 
Now we, I had to rehab it. I stuffed it full of roommates. 11 months later, I sold the house and I was like, oh my goodness, I spent far less time, especially in my day job at the time and made far more money doing this live and flipping and house hacking. And those terms didn't exist. And I was like, how many more of these projects could I possibly do? And so I started off that tactic, continuing to utilize what we call the 121 um, exclusion to build up buckets of equity, but I never could figure out how to unlock passive income. Like, I'm like, how do people retire off of real estate? I just couldn't put the puzzle together. Fast forward a few years working through in community pharmacy. Um, that's where I spent the bulk of my public health career. You know, it just dawned on me. I'm like, oh, you got to keep the unit and rent it out. Okay. <laughs> we can do that. So we built up a portfolio of single family rentals and started dabbling in passive syndications on the side because I had unlocked my retirement or moved my retirement monies in a self-directed account. But when we sat down to do the math to see if we could walk away from our jobs, we'd only planned for me. And my husband was like, well, I want that too. And I'm like, oops, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and I was like, I, there's no way I can do this, like building, going up to 80 single family units. And so that's where we, you know, transition into the, the higher class of assets, like multifamily and self-storage to help us mm-hmm. amplify our cash flows mostly. So we can, un, you know, unlock those golden handcuffs for ourselves, but also, um, you know, acquire appreciative assets and continue to snowball and scale. Yeah, I love that. And I'm so excited to talk about the self-storage units and really the benefits of being able to invest in something that is multi-unit. So when you, I think traditionally, I know when I think about like real estate, you think about just your single family home, you're renting it out, you're dealing with the stress of being a landlord and and all of the things, or maybe you have an Airbnb property, and then you're still dealing with the stress of managing that and all of the stuff that comes with you being the caretaker of the property. So tell us a little bit about self-storage and like, what are some of the benefits of having these self-storage units that are multi-unit versus just, you know, your traditional single family home? Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing right off the bat, like when you, and I still have single family portfolios and I still will buy an occasional Airbnb every once in a while. Cause I believe in having controlled real estate in your portfolio, things that you have full decision-making power over. Mm-hmm. But I also believe in like scaling quickly, not incurring all that liability on your own. It takes a really special person to run this all actively themselves. I'm not it. Yeah. <laughs> I like my time. <laughs> I like going on vacation. I like, I don't like people calling me while I'm on vacation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if we're drawing kind of the, the differences, comparing, contrasting single family, you know, or having one unit versus multiple units, you know, you're either with single family, you're hundred percent occupied or hundred percent vacant. Okay. But that right there, it puts the financial metrics against you. Um, so self-storage, you, you don't have that. You have multiple units under one roof, multiple streams of income. Really. That's what we're all after is multiple streams of income. Um, it was single family. I have to get one loan per property unless I'm somehow able to get a portfolio loan and take down a package of properties. Self-storage, I can get more units under one transaction. So again, I'm acquiring the streams with one loan. The, the loan actually probably has better terms because of the size of the property that I'm buying. And then it's a, being underwritten like a business and not like comparative analysis type property, right? My self-storage is valued off the net operating income. Also, like I don't have in self-storage, I don't have multiple roofs, water heaters, 
basements to fix, right? I have a concrete slab with like some metal walls and it's a garage. <laughs> yes. Right? I don't have my tenants. They're not throwing parties in the middle of the night. Uh, <laughs> I have no toilets to fix, you know, uh, as long as, you know, my construction is good on the self-storage property. I don't have any termites to worry about. Mm -hmm. My tenant turnover is extremely low, right? If I, you know, tenant decides to leave, I open the door that hopefully they're sweeping out the garage and cleaning it up, sending me pictures. But otherwise, like, it's just really a day turnover. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe if I'm in a luxury area, I have to throw some paint on the walls and make sure the air conditioning is still working in the unit. And then I move on. That's it. So my operational expenditures are extremely low on self-storage. Also, like, you know, because I have the multiple units in one area, I can have, you know, maybe a part-time person, you know, leasing those up. And let's talk about the leases really quickly. On a single family property, my leases turn over what, once a year, once every two years on self-storage, I'm turning those leases over monthly. So I'm able to take advantage of the, the seasonality of the asset to get better pricing. I think one thing that's really like people don't quite understand when they're going into self-storage property is that we're not looking for a hundred percent occupancy for that very reason. We want about 85-ish percent or 90% occupancy. So we actually have units available so we can capture those more expensive leases. Mm -hmm. um, when I do a, when I raise the income on a lease on a self-storage property, you know, five bucks is very meaningful, meaningful, right? Five times 60 divided by the cap rate right. times however many units I have, I'm increasing the value of the property. Yeah. So or on a single family, I increase the, you know, the unit 50 bucks, my tenant might move out. Mm -hmm. So, but on self-storage, they're not going to go rent a truck and move across town for five bucks, a, for five bucks <laughs> yeah. right? But yeah. I'm getting rewarded in the value yeah. uh, of that. So I'm just going to kind of take a big breath there because I kind of threw a lot at the listeners. And if we need to dive in on any of those details, we definitely can. Okay. No, I, um, I love all of that. And I, I can see the value in investing that way you're spending or you're investing, I think wiser and it's just, it, you're having it work for you. So if someone's listening, um, myself included, if we're wanting to get involved with something like this, just from your experience, do you build new facilities? Like, do you acquire the land? Do you inquire the, the loan to build the building? Are you looking looking for established self-storage units that are already there that you're just kind of coming in to take over? Like what has been your route that you've gone? Yeah, so for me, the, going into the self-storage space and particularly what we do at PassiveInvesting.com, I mean, th this industry has not been institutionalized yet. So a lot of the assets are still held by mom and pop operators. So they bought the units, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. They probably haven't moved the rents up to market rent. Um, they might have additional land around them that could, you know, warrant building more units. So it's kind of a yes and approach. Mm -hmm. um, but typically what we're doing is we're looking for, you know, units that are being underutilized. So we're that they're, you know, for whatever reason, either they're in a lease up phase and they just, whatever reason, the operator can't figure out how to get them leased up or they're say at that hundred percent occupancy, which tells us that they're not anywhere near close to market rents. Mm -hmm. And so even just doing that alone, figuring out how to optimize the income, the, just the rental income on the property is huge. So that's one value add. 
the next value add is how can we decrease expenses, right? So a lot of these mom and pop operators, they have full-time people operating the units. So you have somebody that you're paying 40, 50, $60,000 a year plus benefits. That's really expensive. So we look to actually acquire multiple complexes within a geographic area for property management reasons, not for full-time employment reasons. And, you know, I kind of alluded to earlier, you know, this space can be really automated. So we can actually put in, you know, gated communities uh, or gates around the properties, put in cameras, you know, we can actually really automate this process to remove a significant amount of expense off the property. And then we just have it like the whole, you know, whatever we own in the area overseen by property management. Now, the third third thing that we can do is we can add actually additional streams of income. And our primary way of doing that is actually adding the insurance policy to the asset. So it's kind of like if you have a renter in a single family property, your property manager, not you, you're not getting this income, but the property manager is probably requiring the tenant to have rental insurance. Mm-hmm. Jesse is getting the stream of income off of that. It's not you, property manager. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, unless you're managing yourself and you have like a platform like tenant cloud or something like that to where you can sell insurance through mm-hmm. um, to the tenant, we can do the same thing in self-storage. So, you know, if the, a lot of these tenants are actually renting, so they don't have a homeowner's policy. If they're renting a unit, their belongings offsite of their rental, um, home rental, the roof over their head aren't covered on that policy. So when they rent from us, they need a second policy to cover their belongings mm-hmm. in case of whatever happened. Like we just had a massive fire rip through my hometown, like in our area and took out almost 1100 homes. Shockingly enough, the storage units are all still standing. <laughs> so, but you know, some of them, the water sprinklers went off. So there is some damage that has to be mitigated, but the insurance, the renter's insurance would cover that. And that's an additional stream of income to the self-storage complex. So again, maybe that's five or 10 bucks a month, but mm-hmm. that carries value because it's, uh, because the asset is evaluated based on that operating income as a commercial asset. And there's also like, you know, we're also buying properties where there is some land around there and there is the potential to build more units. Now that's not always the case. We don't always take advantage of it because there is a capital expenditure cost, but sometimes that is the business plan on the asset. So we generally don't do ground up construction. I mean, we like stabilized cash flowing assets that are profitable today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, development, I, I really believe this industry is, is poised to explode. Uh, we're not topped out on the self-storage. We're, we're riding the wave up, but you know, that's just not our business model. We like having those cash flowing assets now. And if there's ways to add value by adding additional units, we will do that. Okay. And so can you explain that you said that the self-storage units weren't institutionalized? Explain that to me. Yeah. So, you know, for the past, I would say 10 years, I I can't remember whenever the interview with Warren Buffett happened. I think it was like 2011, 2012. He asked him like what advice he had for real estate investors and he goes buy as many single family homes as possible. Guess what Berkshire Hathaway has been doing for the last 10 years, buying as many single family homes as possible. You've got your institutional, um, like BlackRock, they have a fund. There, There are several institutional refunds that buy single family houses. So this is, that area is 
really starting to become institutionalized. We haven't seen that with self-storage for a variety of like reasons, but, you know, primarily it's just that there's a lot of them that are mom and pop operators and, you know, these type of institutions like assets are already performing and highly optimized. And so for them to go in and buy the assets like we do that have a value add component to them, Mm -hmm. that's just not their shtick, right? So guess who our exit is too. Once we acquire the mom and pop facility, we put on our value add plan. Our exit is to these institutionals, you know, great REITs, insurance companies and banks. So you kind of go in and you approach these, say, mom and pop self-storage owners and you say, we want to buy your business. Is that how, is that kind of your approach? And do you get the the value of the business, the value of the property? And then from there, you kind of make them an offer. Is that kind of your Yeah. 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 I mean, in a high level, um, you know, I'm not on the acquisition side of the self-storage, but, you know, just at a high level, you know, what you're doing is you're looking at the trailing 12 income for the property. And remind, remember, these properties either aren't being leased very well, or they're leased at 100% under rent, and they probably don't have hardly any additional streams of income. So the net operating income is pretty low. Now, over time, the market, you know, just based on the cap rate moving, okay, the capitalization rate gives uh, some natural appreciation to the mom and pop operator. So not only have they been able to, you know, bring in a profit over the past, you know, however their hold, but they're also getting some natural appreciation in the market. So they're making out just fine especially if they don't want to, you know, institute the business plan to increase the value of the asset. That's where we come in mm-hmm. is that, you know, we see the value of the asset. We're paying them, you know, market rate for their current asset. You know, it's a negotiation for sure, back and forth. And then we are actually projecting over the next five to seven years, which is our general full-time, uh, what it would take to institute mm-hmm. our, our business plan. And then what would the future value of the asset be? Okay. So I want to kind of shift gears here. Thank you for all of that information on self-storage. Cause like I mentioned kind of before we hopped on, this is something that my husband and I are, we would love to explore that. Um, we've always kind of just thrown that idea around, just not really knowing the value that you just explained, but just, you know, from the outside looking in, thinking that it would be a good investment. So I'm glad to hear that it is actually a good investment and a good way to go and like see the income, especially passively from that, that option of being able to have that multi-unit property where it's, you know, you can have these multiple streams of income through that, that passive stream. So I want to talk about, you know, since this is the passive income nurse, I want to talk about passive income and how you can create time freedom. Cause a lot of my nurses listening, that's what they're wanting. They're wanting time freedom. So they don't really know how to get that. Okay. They want more time with their family. They want to be able to work when they want to work. They don't want to be tied to, you know, necessarily working inside of the hospital. They crave that time freedom, but they don't really know how to get it. Can you touch on creating time freedom by shifting from like the active business model of real estate to more of the passive. Oh, absolutely. It is life-changing, I will tell you. You know, because I was working um, full-time in community pharmacy. I was taking care of my two grandparents. I was their guardian. And also my mom was aging. She was also had some health issues of her own. And so here I am like trying to take care of everybody actually from a distance. So a lot of plane flights back and forth to Oklahoma and Texas. I got a little baby at home. And, you know, just like that tug on the heartstrings. I just 
I wanted to be, you know, I think women, and not to say everybody here listening is a woman, but you know, we're just naturally geared to like as caregivers. Yeah. And so I just the same. <laughs> I wanted to help everybody every step of the way. But I knew that, you know, I also wanted, I'm very driven. I wanted to scale myself within my business and also within my career. And I had to, for one thing, I had to unlock my identity from my job. That was step number one. Once I did that, then I could actually embrace real estate is a thing for me. Mm-hmm. Right. I could actually exceed at this now, you know, call it imposter syndrome. Originally, I tried to talk myself out of pursuing real estate every which way, um, <laughs> you know, so, but once I realized I'm like, yeah, I can actually do this. I deserve to have my expenses covered by my passive income and build the life that I want to. And if I choose to stay in my role in community pharmacy, fantastic. But again, you know, changing my mindset to say, I deserve this and I'm going to make my career a choice, not a have to. Now we didn't really say like, that's not a tactical how, but I think that's like the first step that people just kind of bypass and don't really recognize from there. You know, when I was sitting there having that conversation with my husband, you know, got our little 18 month old running around, you know, um, borderline like potty training, like she in diapers, not in diapers, you know, very odd time for us. And it was just like, I just want to spend so much time with her I was like, okay, this is it. Like, we're going to start using some of our passive income to fund our lifestyle. And then he wanted it. And I'm like, whoa, hold on. That quick, I mean, it happened in, in an instant. I went, we have 30 units right now. We're doing 10 flips a year. I am burning a candle, you know, on both ends of three times, five times in the middle. Like, we've got to figure out a different way and hand over operational control of some of these assets to somebody else that can do it much better than we can and help us scale much faster. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the beauty of, you know, making that realization. One, I had already realized I need to unhook my identity from my job Two, I deserve this. Okay. And then from there, it was really trying to fully understand what does passive investing really give you, right? Some people are like, wow, it's cheating. Like, why would I do this if I can go find the property myself and manage it? Like, it's just cheating if I, you know, hire it out. No, it's called leverage. Mm-hmm. All the great business owners have leverage. They have employees under them. So for me, I had to put on my hat, vision and strategy hat as a CEO and say, okay, I need to find seven different operators in all these different areas of real estate. They're going to be my COOs. Now, guess what they have underneath them? They have a team. They know that they have knowledge of the strategy. They have the market expertise. They have a team built underneath them to help them execute. I'm running a business, right? This is what it sounds like. But I'm also leveraging their ability to get credit in lending. I'm not having to do all that. I don't have all of that on my name or in my entities. I don't have that exposure. They're also able to leverage other investors' income or excuse me, other investors' investment capital raise in order to access these larger assets that are higher quality than I could ever do on my own. And more importantly, I get to leverage their time. So for me, like I still have 13 single family units. A couple of them are like duplexes. I have two Airbnbs (laughs) and I spend a lot of time on that. (laughs) Still, 
right? I mean, I mean, it's leverage, right? It's leverage, right? Like for the amount of income that I make, I, I mean, it's leverage. I mean, I, I wouldn't give it up for the world, but on my passive investments, I make probably three times as much money. And I spend 10 hours, probably a year past my due diligence, just looking at the reports, reading the emails and making sure those distributions hit my bank account. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so awesome. You hit a lot of pain points for my listeners over this past week. I've been doing a lot of market research calls because I really want to talk to my nurse and I want to figure out what, what do they want? And something that kept coming up was that time freedom and be able to spend time with their family. They want to be able to quit their job and they want to be able to take control of their schedules, spend their time the way that they choose to. And so this is something that I personally struggle with stepping into the entrepreneurial space. It's like you said, you had to put on that cap of being that CEO. Just, I think a lot of us found our identities in our career. And so when we get wrapped up in that, we almost feel like we are, that's where we're, we should stay just because we committed to that. But when you really look at what you want and what's important to you, which a lot of these nurses that I'm talking to, it's like, I want to be home with my babies. Like I want to be able to pick them up from school. I want to be able to get them off the bus. And so So when you look at, okay, if that's the life that you want, we already know that inside of healthcare, you're trading time for money. You will always trade your time for money. There is never going to be any more time in the day. So now you really have to change your mindset to think what other options are there that I can leverage to be able to live this life that I want, to be able to have this time freedom, to be able to have this financial freedom, to be able to spend more time with my family, to, you know, do whatever that looks like for you. And so just real estate, I'm hearing over and over and over and over again, it's just like, this is such a great way to be able to create that passive income. And I love how you like through, you know, you say you've, you've leveraged these, these management companies, or I don't know if they're management companies. I don't know if that's the right word. Like operations. The like operations. Investment so firms, you're, right? you're not having to deal with the stress of the everyday. You don't have to deal with that. And so all of that is passive. That's really cool how you've been able to leverage that for you and your husband to be home. How old is your daughter? She's nine. Now we still work. Yeah. We, we just, we have a choice. Yeah. We choose to work, right? Mm-hmm. At any point in time, we can flip the switch and, you know, right off into the sunset. But I mean, I like quit cold turkey for like two weeks and I was like, I'm bored. <laughs> like, I gotta do something. Yeah. Like, I'm, for me, I'm an educator at heart. I mean, yeah. I've always been in public health. Yes. Um, you know, I, I quickly moved from the um, research side of things into more of the policy and education side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did that, you know, same thing. Like when I was working in community pharmacy, I always find my, myself like back in this niche of education mm-hmm. and, you know, that's the beauty of it, right? Like if I put myself in the shoes of a nurse, you know, um, because, oh my gosh, like nurses, special place in my heart. Like, especially when they were taking care of my grandparents, like I got to watch that. Mm-hmm. They, they're loving their love and compassion. Like you still, I can imagine like working, you know, you've 20, you know, 12 hour shifts and then you're tired and you go home to your family. You're just like, where's my, the love of my compassion for my family? Like you have it, but it's like your tank is lower than it was when you were at work. How can you flip that on its head, but still provide value, right? So maybe now you work part-time or you, you know, God bless you. If you have the heart to work hospice, you're doing like end of life hospice care or palliative care. 
that sort of thing, you know, things that are just like little, little sprints, but, you know, really tapping into what your gift is not so much like having to like trade that time for money. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, the highlights of being able to have this passive stream of income because it, it frees up your time because you're, Mm -hmm. you're not necessarily like you're not tied to your W-2, you're not tied to the security inside of being an employee anymore. You have freedom to be able to work part-time or be able to work PRN or be able to, you know, use that to your advantage where you can still show up and be a nurse and work inside of healthcare and do something that you enjoy doing by taking care of others, but you're, you're not stressed out about the financial side of things because you're doing it from a place of compassion, a place of, you know, just showing up because you truly, that's what you truly want to be doing. It's not that you're, you're hustling for the paycheck and you're picking up extra shifts and you're spending all of this time away from your family. And, you know, you're, you're always looking for another way to make money and it's always stressful. And I think it just allows you to, to live so much more freely by having that passive stream of income and, and it impacts your family so much, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my mom, before she passed away, she was, you know, she passed away at 72. She worked all the way up until the almost like the week before she passed away and uh, ran a laboratory. She was a microbiologist for um, a hospital lab. And, you know, she never had the passive stream of income, but I, that coming in, but she did do a pretty decent job of building up her portfolio to where she didn't feel entirely stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wish that, you know, she called me crazy. Like every time I'd buy a house, she was like, Whitney, this is not what I, how I raised you. Like you're nuts. <laughs> and I'm sure we all have those people in our family that are saying what you're doing is a little kind of crazy. It was rewarding because she did make some shifts in our portfolio, like a couple years before she passed away that allowed her to step away and work PRN and come visit, you know, her granddaughter more. I just really wish that she had done it so much earlier, you know, time, yeah. time is a gift, right? You know, you have to, we have to take advantage of it now. Yeah, I think so. You know, we're, we're never promised tomorrow. And so if I always tell my nurses, like if something has been placed on your heart, you have to pursue that. If it's there, it's been placed there for a purpose and it's okay that it doesn't look like you thought it would or like it traditionally looks it's okay to be able to step outside of the box to be able to think outside of the box when it comes to living the life that you want like you deserve this like you said I made the decision like I deserve this and so (laughs) as Mm -hmm. you focused on that and letting go of your identity inside of your career which I know a lot of my nurse listeners they struggle with that. They struggle with their identity being inside of their career. But I also think that their desire for that time freedom, for that flexibility and all of that can overcome that identity. It's just half, it's just, it's just a mindset shift. And so once you make the decision and once you, you know, you set your eyes on what you want, it's totally possible. It's totally possible for everyone listening to be able to create this passive stream of income. And it may look different for everybody, right? So I'm sure you've tried things in the past that you were like, eh, not my thing. You know what I mean? And so like, as you learn, you grow, you, you invest in, in learning. I mean, you kind of are self-taught, you know, coming from the, the accidentally getting inside of real estate to really figuring out what works for you, what you like. And then, you know, also through that, figuring out what you don't like. So things just giving yourself permission to explore and to be curious about other ways that you may be able to bring in some money whether that passively or actively at first, and then with your goal with it to be, you know, kind of transitioned into that passive role. So, 
Yeah. I mean, there's no harm in getting your expenses covered, you know, or your lifestyle covered with passive income and staying in nurse. There's no, I mean, it's an and and not an or, right? Like right. it's not like you're, anybody's going to make you make the decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just at some point in time, I know for me, like that, I, I never thought I was like, oh, I'm always going to work. I'm always going to be yeah. like in public health. Yeah. At some point in time, I was like, wait a second. I actually have a choice if I want to stay home with my family. This is amazing. This is yeah. like entirely amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a process, right? It's it's a marathon, not a sprint too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I just love chatting with you, getting some more insight on self-storage units. I know my listeners are super intrigued about that. If they would like to connect with you, where can they connect with you? And I also know that you have some resources that you can share with them. Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to passiveinvestingwithwhitney.com, I've got a free downloadable checklist for all the listeners here that just walks them through the different steps that you need to take before you get into your first or next passive investment. Funny enough, this comes, I built this checklist after hundreds of investor conversations. And some of these steps will be very intuitive. People are like, oh yeah, I know about that. And then some aren't. And I really wish investors would take it before they got started. Mm-hmm. So download that checklist. It's just a quick two pager. Um, there'll be um, an ebook, you know, here in a couple of weeks that uh, I'm going to be putting out that actually expands on that checklist. That'll be free for all listeners if they go to that page and register. And then if they want to hop on the phone with me, I would love to talk to them about their investing goals and how I could help. Okay. Yeah. I think that would be super helpful because I think we can kind of see the big picture, but then we don't really know where to start. So um, if anyone listening is kind of in that place and you're just wanting to get started, I'm sure Whitney would be glad to kind of help you guide you and point you in the right direction. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. My pleasure. My pleasure. Hey, real quick, before you go, if you enjoyed today's show, make sure you go over to Apple iTunes and hit subscribe. This way you'll get notified when all of the new episodes air. And if you've been listening to the show and you know some other friends or coworkers that may enjoy it, or you just want to say thank you, be sure to take a screenshot and share it over on the gram, post it up in your stories and tag me at Brianne, it's B-R-I-A-N-N-E underscore Bell, B-E-L-L. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I'm so grateful for you guys. Until next time. If you like my mom's podcast, make sure you subscribe and leave a review.